Revelation chapter 20. Let's look at that together. We made our way down through verse 3 last week. Today, we're going to cover verses 4 through 6 of Revelation chapter 20. But for context, let's read 1 through 6, and then we'll dive in with a little review, and we'll, we'll get running. So Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, if you dare say amen. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more to the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So, Father, we do thank you this morning. For your word, Lord, for allowing us to gather together, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say, that you would take away from our hearts and minds the cares of this life and the burdens of this world, that you would take away the distractions from this room, Lord, that you would allow us to focus in and hear your voice clearly as you teach us by your Holy Spirit. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we say together, amen, amen. And so this section, verses four through six, I would call it establishing the kingdom today. Establishing the kingdom. And if you remember, um, at this point, as we're going to look at this establishing of the kingdom, as I call it, upon the earth, you remember that Jesus, Jesus taught us that this is what we are supposed to be looking for, supposed to be longing for, desiring to see happen. Because it was back in the Gospels when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. You all know this, that he said, in this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven. Y'all probably know this by heart holy or hallowed be your name. And remember, your kingdom come, his kingdom, right? Come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on to say, give us this day your daily bread. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Y'all know it for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've been praying that a lot of us most of our life, haven't we? And, but if you listen to the whole thing, the kingdom belongs to the Father, which he is going to bestow upon the Son. And we are exhorted to pray for that day to happen because that is what we're looking forward to. And as we're looking in chapter 19 and chapter 20, that's exactly what is going down. If you remember in chapter 19, Jesus returned, <clears throat> listen, completely demolishing and destroying the world system called Mystery Babylon, the beast's kingdom, which is literally ruled by, controlled by the dragon who is Satan. Y'all remember these things, right? 
Y'all remember the rules too, right? Y'all looking at me like, this stays, let's stay focused. Yeah, destroying that kingdom which is upon the earth, which by the way is the world itself or the system of the world which Jesus even warned us about. We are living currently in the world system. We are sojourning through, but this is not our home. But he's coming back and he will put an end to it as he establishes his own kingdom. In fact, if you remember, it got kind of hectic because in chapter 19, verses 19 through 21, if you remember that the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies, the armies of the nations of the, of the world, of the earth, they gathered together, remember, to make war against him who sat on his horse and his army. Remember, his army was an army made up of not just the angelic host, but also the saints. Y'all remember that? Those clothed in white linen, fine and pure, which are the righteous acts of the saints, which back in chapter 19, we actually found out that that is the wife of Jesus which is the church. So we are part of that army that they're making war against. We've talked about that as Jesus is riding into earth. And notice the beast was captured, verse 20, with the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who uh, received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. And the two were cast, remember, alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, which we're going to find out in chapter 20, burns how long, y'all? Forever. That torment is forever. But remember verse 21, where it says the rest, meaning the rest of the nations and the army, those who had taken the mark of the beast, those who had come out to fight against the Lord and against his saints, they were killed, notice, by the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, or the sword which comes from the mouth of Jesus is what it literally means, and the sword is literally a figurative way of describing the authority and the power of the word that he will speak against them when they come against him. And it says, and all the birds will fill with their flesh. And the interesting thing, as we begin to look at that whole scene back in chapter 19 with Jesus returning, destroying the world army and the, wor- the nations and the system that was in place, many don't like that version of Jesus. They like the version of Jesus, which is nice, and he's healing and he's teaching good moral lessons. But they don't like the version of Jesus that will return and bring this type of destruction because it means that there is a judgment for sin and the ways of this life and this world will be judged. And so many pastors seek to tone this down and or not deal with it at all. And I have to say this morning, and I am telling you this morning, and I make no apologies for saying this this morning, that they are themselves even enemies of the cross. And should be rebuked at least. And, 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 and you should definitely turn away from them. They are the most destructive force against the church today, in my opinion. All of the prophets foretold of this time which was going to come where he will establish his kingdom and it's going to be a blessing upon the earth. Uh, if you remember Daniel in Daniel chapter 12 on the screen, just to, to just give you a little flavor of what Daniel was saying. Daniel said, uh, well, the Lord speaking to Daniel said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Um, God told Daniel to seal up some of the part of his message, but God told John in the book of Revelation, don't seal it because the time is at hand. Y'all remember we dealt with that back in chapter one, okay? Um, Because we're now living in the time where these things are being fulfilled, and more than ever before, we need to understand the times that we're living in. 
And so he says, many will be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And then he says in verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Now remember, the daily sacrifice is the sacrifice that the Jews will do in the temple in Jerusalem. And there is currently no temple in Jerusalem. Y'all remember that, right? Okay. However, there will be a temple built by this final world leader who will help the Jews build their temple, and they will resume temple sacrifices. But then he will come in and set up an abomination, which is literally he will sit in the temple and declare himself as God, Paul said, and and require all to worship him and calls the, the worship of the true God to be cut off. And so he says that, Uh, The Bible tells us that it would be 1,260 days from the time that is established until the Lord's return. But here Daniel says that there would be 1,290 days, an extra 30 days. And then verse 12 on the screen says, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Y'all see that? Interesting math. We just added another 45 for a total of 75 days after the Lord returns which I believe is a time where he will be establishing his kingdom. I believe the first 30 days will be a cleanup. (laughs) Everybody will get 30-day tags. You know, it's over pretty, pretty quick. Get it done. We're cleaning up. And then 45 days of establishing the kingdom, all of that beautifully brings us, I believe, back to where we are in chapter 20, verse 4. But before we get there, if you remember, part of establishing the kingdom, the first thing that's done in his return is that the dragon was put in chains. Y'all remember that from last week? Remember, verses 1 through 3, one angel, unidentified, doesn't seem to be any significant angel or or, or of any rank not to put him down if he's listening. He's just not identified as being anything other than a typical angel. He lays hold of Satan. You remember that in verse 2, the serpent of all the devil and Satan. And notice what he did. He bound him for a thousand years. Y'all remember that from last week, right? So then listen, Satan is currently not bound but loose, but in the millennium reign of Christ, he will be bound. And I wanted to point that out again because he's loose now. We see that in Scripture because the Scripture tells us to be vigilant. We talked about this last week, Peter said, because we have an adversary, the devil, who is loose, who's seeking whom he may devour. Y'all remember that? We talked about that last week. Paul said that we are to put on the whole armor of God that we uh, may be able to stand against the the devil in in the evil days. So all of these verses pointing to the fact that he is currently bound. I wanted to bring that out because some of our brothers in the church today and sisters in the church have, uh, I think, gotten into an unbiblical way of praying. Because through the years when I'm uh, in the unity of the church, I come across a Pentecostal or a word of faith brother or sister who, when we are praying to the Lord, they divert and begin to pray to Satan instead. And what they begin to do is they begin to bind him. We, I bind you, Satan. My foot's on your neck. I mean, y'all heard these types of prayer. Okay. And they begin to spend a lot of time praying to Satan as opposed to praying to the one who has the power over Satan. Satan is not bound in this age, nor do we have the power to bind him in this age. In fact, 
Michael the archangel, who is one who has the ability to bind Satan if he wanted to, did not bind him in the book of Jude. Really quick, glance over to Jude. If you can't get there fast, don't worry about turning. Write it down. Jude is only one uh, chapter, 25 verses, if you will. But in Jude verse 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said... The Lord rebuke you. In other words, Michael didn't even deal with trying to bind Satan himself. He simply said, hey, the Lord rebuke you, which is an indication of the fact of a couple of things. So listen, Satan is loose in this age. You and I don't have the power to bind him, so to speak. However, we do have the power and the authority in the Lord to go to the Lord when we're confronted with the enemy. Because none of you are ever going to contend with the devil himself but one of his falling angels or peon demons. And we can go before the Lord and call upon the Lord in that time of need, like the church did in the book of Acts when they prayed in Acts chapter 4. They said, Lord, you see the enemy. You see their threats. Look on those things, Lord, and grant us the boldness to continue to do what you called us to do. Remember that? Uh, Paul asked the church to, to pray for him that his gospel would go forth because there were many adversaries that were coming against him. And so I do believe, listen, I do believe as we live during this time, as you are walking with and serving the Lord, you can go to the Lord and call upon him and he will grant you favor when the enemy shows up and push him out of the way. That's why when we go to the abortion clinic, we pray, Lord, uh, move back the enemy's territory. And give us an open door and the freedom to do ministry here. Move him out of the way. And the Lord responds to that message. And when it gets real tight, listen, when the battle gets real tense, Jesus gave us the ultimate example of what to do when the enemy shows up. Back when he was in the wilderness in the early part of the Gospels, Jesus did it very simply. Now, Jesus, being God in human flesh, could have bound the enemy and destroyed him, couldn't he? He didn't because that wouldn't have been a good lesson for us. He's in the business of making disciples. So Jesus says, no, I'm going to do this in my humanity with the same tools I've given my disciples so they can understand what it looks like. So what Jesus did is says, it is written, it is written, get behind me for it is written. He quoted the word, he quoted the word, he quoted the word and stayed the course. Amen? Y'all get that? And so stand in the word and understanding the word and, and using the word and quoting the word. Back in Acts chapter 4, when they were praying, when the enemy was coming against them, they were quoting scripture even in their prayer, if you go back and look at it. So it's amazing that the Satan is not bound, but even though he's not bound, he still doesn't have victory and authority over the church because we are his. Y'all understand that? So listen, the biblical way to pray is to focus all your attention on the Lord and what his word says and not you don't have to talk to the, to the enemy so bad, you know, so much. You know, y'all get me? You okay? So if you're spending all your prayer time binding the enemy and talking to him, you missed, you didn't pray yet. Like if you spend an hour talking to Satan about how you're going to bind him and beat him up, <sighs> when you finish that, then you start praying, okay? <laughs> all right. So he is loose now in this season. We saw that last week. As this kingdom is being established, he is going to be bound finally. So in this age, he's loose. But in that to come, the kingdom age of Christ on the earth, he will be bound. And so we pick it up today as we continue in verse 4. And notice in verse 4, it says, And I saw thrones, 
and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then notice the then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hand. Uh, and they live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And so as we begin to look at this, we identify right off the bat two groups that make up these kingdom saints. Right off the bat, we see two groups. If you pay close attention, the first one, it says, I saw thrones and they sat on them. Judgment was committed to them. Notice the then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. In other words, the first group, the, the, the day that's mentioned here must be the day that we've been dealing with over the last chapter. Well, who is that day? Well, it's the same day who were part of the armies of heaven that returned with Jesus who were riding on white horses. We identified them as two groups. We know that the angels, some of the angels returned with Jesus, but also the saints because of what Scripture teaches us. In fact, these saying they in the earlier part of chapter 19, we know that they were clothed in both places in fine linen, white and pure, which are the righteous acts of the who y'all? The saints. And so therefore we determined that it was the wife of the Lord according to chapter 19. And so part of the day, the first day that's been mentioned here in uh, chapter 20, verse 4, is what I like to call the pre-tribulation saints. Those who lived during this age and came to know the Lord by placing their faith in, faith in Jesus Christ himself. But then notice the then there. The then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Y'all notice this? For their witness, they were beheaded. Why? Well, because those who come to faith during the tribulation period, who also refused to worship the beast. Notice what the verse says, who had not worshipped the beast or his image. They also refused his mark. See, they, it says here, and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hand. These are the ones who are beheaded. In other words, during the tribulation period, Satan will exercise through his beast absolute control over the population. And everyone who participates in the system, the financial and economic system, and every other aspect of that system, they will have complete control. That system, which is now in the early stages of being put together, even with the technologies that we're looking at, and those who refuse to be a part of that and come to faith in Jesus Christ, most of them will lose their life for their faith during the tribulation. And so I call these the tribulation saints, so does Scripture. And so we have what I like to call the pre-tribulation church, joined later by the tribulation saints. These groups are being identified for us in these verses. And I like to say this, that the tribulation saints will have a very special place with the Lord because chapter 7 of Revelation says he will shepherd them himself in a very special way. We've talked about this. So now with all of that said, my main points for today are going to be this. In regard to the establishing of the kingdom and the role of the saints during the kingdom, we will have what I like to call millennial authority upon the earth. We will have millennial jurisdiction upon the earth, or you could even say stewardship. I also like to have, we will have, say we will have the highest, listen, the highest Level of clearance or millennial clearance, those of you who've been in government and operate in D.C., you know, clearance is very important, isn't it? A few of you here know that. So we will have high level, the highest level clearance during the millennial. And we will also have the position or the role of priestly ambassadorship 
over the earth during the millennial. In other words, we, the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, will have millennial authority and stewardship because of our classification or clearance level, and we will hold the highest position of priestly ambassadorship of the king throughout the millennial. That's what these verses are describing. Let's look at it. First, the authority. Notice it says here, again, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. I love that. Thrones denoting those who are in rulership of some level within the earth. Um, The Old Testament prophets spoke of the same thing. Daniel, I'm not going to go into it, but you can look at Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 9 down. He describes the whole scene that we're looking at here. But one of the things he says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. And his garment was white as snow, his hair of his head was pure like wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and his wheels were like a burning fire. And it goes on to describe the, everything, including the, the judgment seat, which is coming of God in chapter 20 later on. So all of that described there, but these thrones were foretold even in the Old Testament. And so these thrones are established, and they sat on them. Now, some people speculate, well, maybe these are the thrones that the 24 elders were sitting on back in chapter 5 which were a representation of the church. But I believe it's the they which were spoken of in chapter 19, which are the whole population of saints. And I'll tell you why as we go through. Notice judgment was committed to them. It's interesting, this word judgment. Listen, this word judgment, it means literally a judicial uh, decision process, if you will, or those who have a judicial authority to condemn or to make decision over matters. And it's hard for us to begin to fathom what is being implied here. Because we live in a time where we see things happen on the earth that really drive us to our knees and disgust us to our very stomach. We look at the things that happen. We look at the decisions that are made in Congress, Congress praying to other gods and making decisions about things that they have no business tampering with. We see uh, the molestations and the rapes and the, and the, uh, the hunger and the famine and the, the, uh, the, the people in charge who are corrupt. And so therefore the people under them suffer. And we look at all of these things upon the earth and we long to see Christ come because the Bible says that when he shows up, he will rule with the rod of iron and he will rule righteously. Remember that? We're going to talk about that in Isaiah um, 61 this week. That's what we desire to see. And, and so it's hard for us to fathom what's being said. But here it is. Remember back in uh, Matthew chapter 9 uh, and 10, Jesus says, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Y'all remember that? So he said, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send somebody out in the very next chapter. The ones who were praying got sent out. Y'all remember that? So if you long to see something righteous, guess what? You're going to be a part of it. Because in here it says that judgment was committed to them. Millennial authority will be committed to the very ones of you in here now who are born again. And it's hard for you to fathom. You might say, well, Pastor Kevin, how can that be? I mean, I, I, I can barely keep my, my walk right sometimes down here. <laughs> well, that's good. That bothers you because you are walking, okay? And he will get you through. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. But when we get there, 
and the kingdom is established and we return with him, we won't be floating on clouds playing harps. You're going to be granted authority, judicial authority in the earth. There are things that are going to need to be dealt with because Jesus will rule with the rod of iron and part of that authority will be your presence somewhere on the earth. Something will be committed to you to carry out on behalf of the Lord. And you're going to serve him in a capacity that you never thought you would, probably. I was uh, encouraging a brother this week who was witnessing to a family member in the hospital who was dying. Um, and I was encouraging him because I was saying to him, hey, you are, in fact, a, a servant of the Lord in that hospital. As on the other side of life are other servants of the Lord. And God has made me very aware of this uh, through the years serving as a pastor that we on this side, as we're ministering to the dying and their families, and it seems like when death comes, there's, especially for the believer, there's always another presence in the room that we can barely discern. Uh, because Jesus says when Lazarus, the righteous one, died in Luke chapter 16, that there was an escort present to carry him to Abraham's bosom. And so there's like a handoff, if you will, that happens amongst those of us who serve over here to those who serve the Lord over there. And in eternity and even in the millennium, we, you, will have a position and you will carry a level of authority so that as Jesus is ruling, the things that he desires to go on in the earth, we will have part of ensuring that it happens just the way Jesus said. And guess what? Ain't nobody going to argue with that then for a thousand years. And so not only will you have a certain level of authority during the kingdom years, which will be beautiful in and of, it, in and of itself, but also... With that, there will be a level of jurisdiction, or could, could I even say a level of uh, stewardship that goes with it. Let's look at chapter 4 again, where he says there were thrones, of course, and they sat on them. Judgment was committed to them. Then he saw the other group, the, the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus. That's why they got killed during the, during the tribulation, because of Jesus. And for the word of God, so they stood for Christ, they stood for his word, and therefore they were killed, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their right hand. Because remember, those who received the mark of the beast during the tribulation have eternal damnation, tormented forever, no opportunity to get saved. We believe the mark of the beast has both a biological, medical, spiritual component tied to it, and it's wrapped up in technology somehow. And so they didn't get involved in any of that. They checked out of the world system. They worshiped and served Christ during the tribulation, which is amazing. But notice here, and they lived and reigned with him. How long? A thousand years. That word reign is very interesting because it literally speaks of the exercise of kingly power to exercise the highest influence and control in other words, not only will you have authority, but you also have, I believe, level of jurisdiction implying a level of kingly power to reign with the Lord in the earth. And I believe that we will all have a specific assignment. And wherever that assignment is, you will have the ability on behalf of the Lord Jesus himself to rule in a certain way in that area, which is going to be amazing for us to even begin to fathom it. It's hard to grasp these things in the time that we live in. I often, one day I was praying with the Lord, and I often sometimes when it comes to mind, I talk to him. I was like, Lord, 
I wonder, are you going to put me right back in Clayton and during the kingdom? <laughs> Can I go somewhere, you know, a little bit more exciting possibly? But who cares? It won't matter because in the kingdom it's all going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. And how do we as believers suffer with him? Because in walking by faith with the Lord in this season, in this life, we often, often endure a level of, if you will, persecution and tribulation from the enemy and the world system. Why? Because we're walking with Jesus. I imagine my brother in Canada who's still in jail and won't get out until May because he wouldn't close his church. You think the Lord ain't watching? He'll be ruling somewhere with authority and jurisdiction in the kingdom. And so these things are coming. 2 Timothy 2, 12, Paul said to Timothy, he says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. I love this. Listen, stay faithful to the Lord in this age. The Lord has something special for you and all of us in the age to come. We're going to see each other as we pass in the kingdom, and it's going to be amazing as we see uh, all of the things that the Lord will do with us during that time. It's going to be simply amazing. But not only that, we'll have the highest level of clearance because of the classification that we will maintain. Notice as verse 5 and 6 says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death have no power. In other words, our classification to the degree is that we are part of the first resurrection. So let's pick this apart. Verse 5 says the rest of the dead. Well, who's the rest of the dead? Well, at this point, Jesus has returned. He's brought with him his saints. Okay, he's also gathered the tribulation saints who died during the tribulation. So they're all together. We're all uh, uh, one part of the bride, if you will, with various, if you will, rankings even within that, I believe. But the rest of the dead, who are those who have already died prior to those who have died up until this point, those who have died during the tribulation who didn't know Christ, they don't live again, which means they will spend the millennial kingdom still in hell Hell is what you kind of call county lockup. It's where you wait to be sentenced before you're sent to prison kind of thing, right? Hopefully not many of y'all can relate to that. But you understand what I'm saying. So hell is, if you will, county lockup. That's where they will be locked down until the whole thing is finished. And then, as we'll see later in this chapter, they'll come before the great right throne. And then they'll be cast into the lake of fire. So they won't live again, if you will. The rest of the dead won't live again until the thousand years were finished. And then he says, this is the first resurrection. Okay, so then what is the first resurrection? The first resurrection is those of us who will be resurrected as we go into the kingdom with the Lord. The rest of the dead will be resurrected after the thousand years to stand before the judgment seat of God. Y'all with me? So then the first resurrection of those of us who go into the kingdom resurrected, and it's going to be beautiful. But what is the resurrection? Because listen, listen to me very carefully. The resurrection is extremely important for you to grasp because the Bible says that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then we are the most pitiful of all people on the planet 
and we're still in our sins and our preaching is in vain if there is no resurrection. Y'all hear me? Because the resurrection is part of the gospel message of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus was, was, he was crucified and died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again uh, in victory and in power. And it's because he rose again that we are guaranteed and given the hope, if you will, of the resurrection that we'll take part in. Are you with me? There must be a resurrection. And so what is the resurrection? The resurrection is literally the rising of our complete physical and spiritual form that God has put together. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to behold because remember, it involves your body because if it didn't, then Jesus would have left his in the tomb. But Jesus' body is not on earth in the tomb. It was resurrected and he has his body complete with the nail holes so that we can see the results of our sin when we see him. And so it's extremely important. And so the resurrection is the fact, listen, that we will be resurrected and complete because we won't just be as we are now. We will be transformed. We'll be greater. Are you all with me? Uh, we'll have a body then that's like the one that Jesus has now. Do you know the scripture says we don't quite know fully what it's going to be. What we do know is it's going to be like his because we'll see him as he is. That's what John said in 1 John 3. So therefore, what was Jesus' body like in the resurrection? Well, it was amazing. It was not limited to any of the dimensional limitations that we have on this planet. Remember, Jesus was able to literally walk into a room, door shut, no longer needing to turn doorknobs. Y'all remember that? Uh, as he walked into the upper room with the disciples. Not only that, Jesus was able to, as he was with the men in Emmaus, was able to then vanish from Emmaus and appear right back in Jerusalem and go through a door all at once just by Jesus wanting to do that. Y'all remember that? This is going to be fun stuff. Jesus was able to go through a stone or walk out of a tomb without the stone being rolled away. Remember, the angel rolled the stone away, not for Jesus to get out, but for us to look in. We know these things. So Jesus is no longer limited in his resurrected body to anything that we're limited to now. It's going to be amazing. So as we are ruling and reigning and judgment committed to us in the kingdom, we will have the ability that I should have added. That is the main point. Transportation will be simple. You know, it's going to be amazing. Now, what does it look like, though? Well, Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says that we, flesh and blood, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Remember that? The kingdom of heaven. So, therefore, he, I'll, I'll share a mystery with you. He says we, we, we will not all sleep, meaning we, we won't all die. Some will be raptured. But we all must be what, y'all? Changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. As he describes the fact that in order for us to go to heaven, we must be transformed or literally resurrected. When does that happen? He gives us the indication Paul does when he talks to the Thessalonians. Now, we've covered all of this stuff before. When the Lord descends from heaven, bringing the souls of those who have died with him, but then the dead in Christ also rise first. It sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. They are coming with him, their soul, their spirit, but their bodies will rise, and they will be reunited, configured in some transformed, resurrected way, and then those who are alive will be caught up, but changed on the way up as the resurrection and the rapture are simultaneous to one another, and we'll all be gathered in the air, have, having been transformed, and I often wonder, Lord, is it going to kind of feel like slow motion so we can check the whole thing out? Or is it just going to be bam and we're there? Either way, it's fine. But I, I kind of want to check the thing out as it happens. We don't really know. But what we know 
is that we are, listen, citizens of heaven where we're waiting for the Lord to come and transform. Remember, the scripture says our lowly body to be fashioned like his glorious body. So that is the resurrection, y'all. And the first resurrection is that we will be transformed and we will be with the Lord. And so, listen, our classification in the millennial, millennium will be yours and mine will be pre-tribulation saints of the first resurrection. Others of you who are not saved and you're in this room who may get saved on the tribulation, your classification will be tribulation saints of the first resurrection. I mean, it gets amazing to even begin to think about it all. But it's going to be glorious. It's going to be wonderful. And so because, listen, because you have taken part of this first resurrection, notice verse 6 says blessed, which means, oh, happy are. In other words, you're going to be extremely blessed and happy and overjoyed to be a part of this classification. But also holy, meaning that before God, you will be holy. Now, in the Old Testament, to be holy, it had to be cleansed, and that cleansing was the sprinkling of blood. Y'all remember? In order for anything to be considered holy. Do you remember this from the Old Testament? Okay. Um, Peter says that we've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. It's symbolic, but we have been made holy as saints. That's why we're called saints. So blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Why? Well, here's one of the benefits over such The second death has no power. The second death is everyone who is part of the second resurrection to be judged will then be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And as we're going to get into next week, it's not going to be that they die and don't exist anymore. It's eternal torment. And so you're going to have judgment committed to you, authority. You're going to reign with Christ. You'll have, if you will, some level of jurisdiction and stewardship within the kingdom. Your classification is first resurrection, which means that you are untouchable. When we watch the Avengers on TV, technically we'll be better than them in the earth during the millennium. And we'll be blessed to serve the Lord. And so finally, we will have, as we're running low on time, we will have A priestly ambassadorship, according to verse 6, notice it says, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. And there it is again for a thousand years. Now, this priestly ambassadorship is very interesting. The uh, priest in the Hebrew is Kohen. It's first mentioned way back in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 where it says, and Melchizedek, you can go look it up in your own time, king of Salem brought forth bread and wine, a beautiful verse with all the, sim- all the things that are in there. And he was priest of the most high God. He's the one that Abraham gave a tenth of all the spoil to, if you didn't know. He was a, a priest, if you will. Um, he was the, the king of Salem. We believe, many of us, that it's a Christophany. But priest simply means a principal officer or chief ruler. In other words, we will be chief officers in the Lord's kingdom on the earth. This is going to be amazing. Now, look, Revelation 1.5 says this about this topic. It says, to him, uh, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us notice kings, there's our reigning, and priest, there's our ambassadorship, of his God and Father. 
Now, a basic definition of priest, too, is to be one who represents or mediates on behalf of. Remember, the priest's role was in the Old Testament created so that God could have fellowship with his people and his people could have fellowship with him because they were separated because of sin, if you will. So we'll be representatives of God in the earth during the millennium. And it says, to him who be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5, 9 through 10 says this. And this is the church in heaven singing back in chapter 5. It says, and they sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God uh, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So that tells you that's the church singing and not angels singing because angels have not been redeemed by his blood. But notice what they say next and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign where? So it's not symbolic. On the earth, we shall reign as kings and priests with Jesus Christ. And this is what we're going to be doing during the kingdom. You, I don't care how little you think you are in this room, but you are, if you are saved and born again and you're a part of the, the church, the wife, there is a significance to your life that will be carried into the kingdom and for all eternity because of who you belong to. In fact, not just the church, but Israel brought into this promise from way back. Isaiah 61 verse 6, Israel's, speaking of Israel, it says, But you shall be named the priest of the Lord, and they shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and their glory you shall uh, and in their glory you shall boast because even Israel will have, if you will, jurisdiction being there in Jerusalem where the Lord will have his throne in a temple in Jerusalem. David will be governor or mayor of the city of Jerusalem, but Israel will be established and they will even uh, take part in this kingdom in a similar way as God will fulfill every promise he ever promised to Israel as well. And it's going to be a beautiful time. Let me give you a few more. First Peter uh, chapter 2 Verse 4, Peter says, coming to him as to living stones, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Notice a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Notice that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people because we were lost in sin, but now are a people who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy because our faith is in Jesus Christ. So we are a priesthood to an extent and will serve him upon the earth and it will be a wonderful, wonderful time for us to begin to see all of these glorious things. But I, the, the, the application, what you need to take away from it is this. In light of, in light of this, listen carefully, in light of who you are in his eyes, because that's what we just looked at, it doesn't really matter what you think you are, how you feel about it. And you may be down and see yourself as a, a very little insignificant person in the grand scheme of things. I'm going to be honest with you. That doesn't matter because he sees you differently. And that's all scripture. You know, uh, God told Samuel, don't look as man looks. Man sees differently than God. God, is, God sees the heart. We don't see all of it. Remember that? And so 
uh, God chose the littlest of the, the, the brothers of Je- uh, the sons of Jesse to be the uh, second king of Israel, the greatest king Israel's ever had. David, when all of his older brothers were stronger and bigger and, and able to accomplish more in war, but David was the one God chose because God always looks differently. So it doesn't matter how you view yourself, honestly. He sees you as significant. You will be a part of his kingdom, and it will be grand and glorious. And I wish I was more eloquent to give you an even more flavor of what it's going to be like. It is going to be extremely wonderful and exciting. Heaven will not be boring. The kingdom will not be boring. We'll be able to enjoy everything that the Lord has prepared for us. And you'll be able to think I just woke somebody up. That's why I did that. <laughs> Wake up. You'll be able to think and be where you need to be to accomplish what you need to accomplish. It's going to be amazing. We're going to run across each other, and we're going to, we're going to wait. You know, here's the crazy thing. You think about in the time we live now during this pandemic, have you ever been in Walmart where there's hundreds of people and notice someone across the room, everybody wearing masks, and recognize that person as a brother or a sister in the Lord. Anybody experience that? How on earth does that happen? It's amazing. We, 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 we know each other sometimes in the spirit. I don't even think we realize the magnitude of it. I can see you from across the aisle. I'm like, there goes so-and-so. Uh, because we're connected, I believe, in the spirit. And it will be even more so during the kingdom. All of us we'll experience a, a splendid time and we'll see each other and it's going to be awesome. Don't think of heaven or the kingdom as being something that's born or out of this world. It's not a fairy tale. This is where we're headed. This is the truth, no matter what the world says. This is what's coming. And so in light of that, we need to live now understanding that before him, we are special. Before him, we are precious And he has great plans for everybody in this room. Amen. Bow your heads. We're out of time. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to be here, for giving us this text, for for, uh, causing us to hear and understand your word. Lord, let us now go out and keep the things that we have read. I pray that you would keep every person in this room throughout this week, Lord God. Give them victory over the work of the enemy. Strengthen them. Give them direction. Let them sense and recognize your presence in their life throughout this week. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if there's anybody in this room who hasn't come to know Christ personally and you'd like to this morning, raise your hand. Let me see where you are, and we'll pray, and we'll settle that thing because the Lord loves you. He doesn't want anyone to perish but every man to be saved and come into the knowledge of truth. But that truth is in his word. And it's the message of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, there is no eternity for you. Without Christ, there's only uh, destruction. There's only a life separated from God. But in Christ, there's eternal bliss. There is a purpose. There are wonderful things that you will experience and enjoy. But you have to come to Christ in order to do that. He's the one that paid for your sin. If you need to do that today, raise your hand. If not, I'm going to close. Father, we thank you. For all that you've done, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. God bless you.